Welcome to the podcast. Today, uh, Carrie Lake joins the program to talk about the Arizona results. Carol Roth uh, about the economy and what's going on with the global food supply chain. We talk, uh, talk about how the left is trying to normalize the sexualization of children. A lot of fun, fun stuff uh, on the show today. Make sure to subscribe, by the way, to blazetv.com slash Glenn. You get the promo code Glenn. Uh, save you 10 bucks there. And subscribe to this podcast. Take a second. Subscribe to it now if you haven't before. As well as Stu Does America. It's available five days a week right here for free on the same podcast app. You can rate and review these podcasts as well. A couple of things, by the way. We have um, a new Power Hour coming up on uh, Friday. If you want to check out the Studios America Christmas Party Power Hour. It's going to be absolutely ridiculous uh, and a lot of fun as we attempt to have one shot of beer for an hour while trying to talk politics and be coherent. It's not easy to do. It becomes ridiculous very quickly. It's only up on YouTube, youtube.com slash Studios America. You can go there and uh, subscribe and check it out. It's this Friday. Do not miss it. Here's the podcast. program voting in our country is really under attack and there's a couple of things that i think republicans in particular have to understand there are so many legal things that you can do that parties do to gather a bunch of votes and turn them in and everything else and the democrats are very good much better than the republicans at doing all those legal things then conspiracy theory alert if anybody wants to play dirty they're also doing that and are very good at that if we even want to be competitive we have to do all of the legal things and we suck at getting the vote out and if we don't if we don't get this down quickly we won't win more elections we won't win now with that being said on the dirty side of it i you could convince me if you show me the evidence and then beyond showing me the evidence what are we going to do about it on voter fraud and all of the stuff that's happening with our elections we have to clean this up now carrie lake who I find it really tough to believe uh, that she lost the election fair and square. And there was a lot of things that were happening, especially in Maricopa County, that uh, seem, oh, I don't know, uh, less than honest. Uh, and she is not giving up her challenge. Um, she has not conceded. In fact, she says she's going to take this case all the way to the Supreme Court. I wanted to talk to her about her case. Welcome, Carrie. How are you? I'm doing great. And thank you for having me on this morning. We're, uh, you know, I'm spending a lot of time talking to attorneys these days after spending 530 days, you know, crisscrossing Arizona campaigning um, to have the election go the way it did. Maricopa County is frankly the new Cook County. And they've mm. found a million ways to, um, you know, as you said, uh, it, from grabbing ballots and drop boxes and all of that. And then they find ways to kind of sneak around and nibble around the laws. And we have an excellent case. We're going to be bringing it 
Uh, I believe this week we're, we're seeing what happens today. They're supposed to certify Arizona's election. A lot of people say, Carrie, what's going on? Why haven't you brought a case forward? In Arizona, it's a little bit backwards. Shocking. Uh, you have to have a, an election certified before you can challenge it. Which and is so ridiculous. Today today, well, Once you certify an elect- election, it's at least in the U.S. Constitution. I don't know what it's like in Arizona, but in the U.S. Constitution, once it's certified, it's done. And there, nothing changes that. Well, Arizona statute requires if you're going to challenge an election that it be certified. I guess before it's certified, it doesn't really count as a legal election. And we are going to uh-huh. be challenging it. We've got systemic illegal voting, I believe, in the hundreds of thousands of votes going on in Maricopa County. Do I want to be in the middle of this fight? It's uncomfortable. It's not fun. But if we don't take this up right now, Glenn, I know. we're not going to have a country much longer. We ignored what happened in 2020. We allowed big tech, uh, mainstream media to attack us and call us conspiracy theorists for even talking about what happened in 2020. And we can't be silent at this moment. It's not even about me anymore. It's about our kids. It's about their future. They've taken our voice away when it comes to our freedom of speech. And our other voice is our vote. And when you've got the, the water so muddied with a month and a month of voting, two weeks of, of ballot counting, We've got problems. Our voices are not being heard. So, um, Carrie, do you have, and I, 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 you don't need to get into the details at this point because I don't want to steal the thunder of the, the uh, you know, when you, when you actually file. I'd love to have you back on and, and talk about those facts or even an attorney. Um, but the problem we had um, with the presidential election is we had a lot of smoke and no one was actually talking about the fire um, because they didn't have the evidence. It's a, a little like um, Arizona. It takes you a while to compile everything. Um, and so they didn't have the evidence. And there were some bad actors on the scene as well. Do you have evidence of this that would show uh, a, a massive change? We have a lot of evidence. We have whistleblowers. We have experts. We have affidavits from um, from voters who were disenfranchised. The difference between 2020 and 2022 in Maricopa County is that we were kind of caught flat footed, like, whoa, what happened there with that election in 2020? And it took a long time for people to try to pull things together, figure out what really happened. They did a lot of the same things in 2022. And then some our movement was so massive, they had to do the usual Uh, you know, sly moves. And then they had to go even more obvious by basically sabotaging and shutting down Election Day operations. They punished the voter on Election Day. And the difference this time around is we had poll watchers, poll workers, observers, lawyers all over. And so we have we've got it documented. We have it documented what happened and we're ready to go. But think about how big this movement is. And I want to talk to people who are listening, Glenn, this morning who are discouraged and say, oh, I just don't want to have to do this fight. Our movement is so big that they couldn't do just the normal shenanigans. They had to pull out all the stops. They had to, as I said, sabotage Election Day. More than 60% of Election Day only polling locations had inoperable or semi-inoperable equipment, had lines that were from anywhere from two to five-hour lines. We'll never know how many people were fully disenfranchised. When you pull up and you see a line snaking around a building and there's no parking, 
and you don't have time, you know, a lot of people just said, I, I can't do this. I, I don't mm-hmm. have four hours to give to vote. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the equipment that didn't work, the toner that was missing in the ballot printers, the ballots being printed in some cases on the wrong size paper, so it misread, and people being forced to take that sacred vote and put it in drawer three and hope to God that it got counted. It, it's, it just reeks to high heaven, and we have more than just the stench of this. We have evidence, and we Good. will be presenting it in a court of law. And while it's not fun, and I know everyone's tired and we're tired of the fight, you know, I, I just say look into the eyes of your children, your grandchildren. Look into the eyes of some, somebody who's in their 20s and say, hey, good luck. We're, not, we're tired of fighting. Good luck. Enjoy living under tyranny. Have fun. And this, and this has to be fought at the local and state level. The Constitution does not allow the federal government to run the elections. And I know there's a lot of Republicans that'll say, we got to get this fixed, fix it at the federal level. Don't, because it's corrupt. at the fe- Everything at the federal level is corrupt. We only have a chance if we fix it at the state level, which the Constitution requires us to do. So, yeah, we're going to have to have these battles in, you know, maybe 50 states, but it's better than uh, just sitting around whining about it. We lose our country if we lose the vote. I agree. Absolutely. We have some federal um, laws that we believe were broken as well. So we have a lot of options here and Mm. um, we do lose our country. You know, this isn't about Republicans. It's not about Democrats and independents. It's about our kids and their future. And if our sacred vote is trampled and we don't at this moment do something about it, we'll never win another election. More importantly, our kids will never have a voice. They, they won't be able to chart, or chart the, uh, the, the future, the course for the future. It's going to be somebody else doing it. And, you know, the, the thing about Maricopa, it's one of those mega counties, 62% of the state of Arizona lives in Maricopa County. So if you have one county that's run in a, in a shady way with corrupt elections, it can affect and disenfranchise every voter in the state. Because Cook if county. you had an election that was run great in, mm-hmm. say, Yavapai County or Coconino County or whatever other county, it doesn't matter. You, this, this county is so massive. And the two men running the election in Maricopa County, even though they are Republicans, they were very much anti-MAGA Republican. They ran a pack with the sole intent to stop anybody who questioned the election and the uh, honestness of, or the truthfulness of our elections. And we found out after digging into that pack that all of the expenditures were spent trying to defeat one candidate, me. You, yeah. <laughs> so the two guys. I have to tell you, Carrie. The the, we we are our, facing two deadly enemies, and yet they're the same except one is labeled a Democrat and one is labeled a Republican. There, there is a fight in the Republican Party. Uh, we can't get anything done because there are those who are progressives in the Republican Party, and those progressives, well, they want to keep the game going. They agree with many of the things on the, uh, on the left, and they want to keep the game going. But I think the American voter that votes for a Republican for the most part, are tired of this game, and they are really tired of the Republican Party. I agree. We need to get our act together as Republicans and and start being Americans first and foremost. 
Uh, you know, we, we got word this weekend that, that Hobbs' office colluded with big tech to silence those who spoke out in the 2020 election. And we're digging around to see how deep that went. And, you know, our, our, there are a lot of Republicans out there, including the two people, the Republicans running Maricopa County elections, who wanted to silence anybody who spoke out and questioned what happened, the veracity of our elections. We have Did a you- right to, to question our government. Didn't you have a um, uh, an email you guys released, I think, over the weekend, or maybe it was Thursday or Friday, um, an email from, uh, I think, Twitter. Secretary, where, yeah. Yeah, where you showed collusion with Katie Hobbs. Can you explain that? Yeah, it, it was coming from the Secretary of State's office, and her office was reaching out to Twitter, basically saying, hey, you know, we got a problem with this tweet, we got a problem with that tweet, it's misinformation, can you take it down? You know, this is a First Amendment violation. This is serious stuff. Our government colluding with big tech to silence us, to take our First Amendment rights away. And that, that is, that's a game changer, really, what we saw what happened. And why is the mainstream media not covering this story? Why is the mainstream media, why are they not covering what happened in Maricopa County, truthfully? It's really frightening times we're living in right now. and We're trying to get the word out. You know, I don't know what the solution is going to be. I don't know what the courts will say, but we can't have our government silencing us. That is a direct break in our First Amendment. And that's what we saw happen. And I think that what Elon Musk revealed this weekend was really big. Unfortunately, these mainstream media outlets are not covering it. And I think people need to start questioning them. Use what you've got left of your First Amendment to call those mainstream media operations and say, why aren't you covering this story? Were you part of it? Why are you not covering it? Are you for censorship? We got to start asking some tough questions and holding our media accountable because they are truly just propagandists at this point if they're not covering stories like this. Carrie, thank you so much. God bless you. And you. Um, let us know when you, uh, when you do file. Uh, we'll be watching and let us know how we can help you get the word out. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it, Glenn. Bye-bye. You bet. Bye-bye. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Carol Roth, how are you? Glenn, you're sounding very feisty for a Monday morning. I, I'm not sure I can handle all of this. We're coming off the weekend here. I have to tell you, I, I can't take the mainstream media and half of the country... That is like, that's a conspiracy theory. What, that you're stupid? That you don't pay attention? That you can't read? What is the conspiracy theory at this point? Because all of the things that people like you, people like me, we have been talking about now for years are just being verified one right after the other. Yeah, I think a definition of a conspiracy theory at this point is something that the media will report on three years later after we all knew that it happened. Exactly right. Exactly right. There's a difference between conspiracy theories and conspiracy facts. Uh, so let's let's talk about the um, the facts. Let's start with the CBDC, the central bank digital currency. Yes, this is okay. First of all, CBDC is not a bar in New York City, so this is this is actually <laughs> something different. <laughs> but it but it is tied into the monetary system, and basically, this is something that 
more than 100 countries around the world who are losing control of their fiat currencies because of their government overspending and because of their central bank printing. They're trying to come up with a new scheme to be able to maintain that power and control. So the idea of a central bank digital currency is to confuse you. People are interested in cryptocurrencies because they're decentralized and because they don't have that centralized power. And so they're trying to glom onto that interest and say, oh, yeah, we're just like that, except they're exactly the opposite. They are completely centralized and they give entire control to the central bank. So imagine today, you know, the, the Treasury p- prints up a Federal Reserve note, we call it a dollar, right? And imagine that dollar had a chip in it. And so when you went to go pay with your dollar, the Fed was tracking you, the government was tracking you and saying, nah, you know what, Glenn, you've had too many burgers this month. We really don't want people eating meat because it's bad for the environment. So this dollar is no good anymore. This is what a central bank digital currency, assuming that it's a retail-facing one, one that the consumers will use, is going to do. And, oh, guess what? The New York Fed is doing a 12-week digital dollar pilot with entities including Wells Fargo, Citigroup, MasterCard, and about six others. So, Carol, they're saying that because they're not sure if they can convert uh, our system of transferring money which doesn't involve any trucks, but the digitizing of actual physical dollars and sending them overseas in bulk, they're not sure they can work out the math on how to do that without the U.S. dollar. That sounds like the biggest bunch of bull crap I've ever heard. They're, yeah, they're wondering mean- if it's going to work for the data transfer. You're doing it every day now. So the the U.S. is the leader in payments, and if you go and you look at, you know, all the different, the Bank Policy Institute, all the different, you know, folks who are kind of looking at policy around this, everyone's going... You know, America doesn't need this. Like, it's one thing for some you know, small country that doesn't have the infrastructure, but we have laser-fast settlement of payments. We have laser-fast transactions you know, through private entities. There is no need for this. The, the need is a want and a desire for control and power by the people who are in charge and by the people who have not been um, taking care of those dollars. And so they need a new scheme, and this is the scheme. And, oh, by the way, this is how they're going to do this, Glenn. And it, my, my best guess right now, all the stuff we're seeing with the crypto woes, the FTX mm-hmm. lap, the, the, you know, the hacking, the fraud, they're going to tell you, oh, we need regulation. We need regulation around crypto because, you know, crypto is bad. Um, and they're going to regulate it, and they're going to sneak in congressional approval because that's the one thing is that a central bank digital currency, the Fed does not have authorization from it. It must come from Congress. I mean, not that that stops anybody anyway, but just theoretically speaking. Um, and so keep an eye out. Whatever bills are coming down the pike, they are going to try to stuff this in here. And this, I'm not, I'm not joking at all. I'm not, this is not hyperbole. This will be the end of economic freedom if a retail CBDC comes to fruition. Um, I, you know, I'll go a step further. I'm not saying this is the mark of the beast, but it has all of the earmarks 
um, of just not being able to live in society without it. You won't be able to do anything without it. Correct? Yeah, I mean, listen, it impacts your livelihood, you know, how you get paid, how you transact. I mean, it, it is the foundation. Stable money is the foundation of a stable society. Now, and people will have- say, though, Carol, that I already, I already interact with my money this way. I don't get an actual paycheck and bring it to the bank. It's digitally transferred uh, into my bank, and then... I spend either a credit card or a debit card everywhere I go. I mean, I go to a gas station, I put the card in. So what's the difference? Well, you know, that you're, first of all, you're doing by choice, and you have a choice of providers, and the providers aren't the government, <laughs> and it doesn't have the authority to come in and say, I'm sorry, you know, we're just going to cut off your ability to take in money or to put out money. We're going to freeze it. I mean, think about the, the trucker convoy um, up in Canada. You know, they just froze their assets. They can do this, uh, you know, with just the flick of a switch, just, you know, one off and say, I'm sorry, that that's it. You, you, you can't, you know, we, we've abandoned, we've gotten rid of cars. We, we're not going to let you hail an Uber. We're not going to let you do this. It, you, know, you said something bad on social media. We didn't like it. So we are going to come down. This, this is a tool to get people to submit to what the government wants. And it is the ultimate bullying tactic, the ultimate control tactic to be able to control every facet of how you transact. I, I will tell you that it is um, it, it is what people will say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. You don't have to do anything wrong. You just have to want to spend your money on hamburger as opposed to fish or bugs or whatever it is. And you just you want you want gasoline and there's a shortage and you're not part of the crew that is deemed essential. So you get no gasoline. This this is, uh, you know, everybody complains about socialized uh, or, you know, about uh, free market health care. First of all, we don't have free market health care. We haven't had free market health care in a very long time. Government is all over it. And now with Obamacare, it's worse. However, this is the point. Look at what's happening now in Canada. Canada actually said to a Canadian veteran who just needed, uh, she's like probably 40. She couldn't walk up her stairs anymore because of the pain. So she calls Veterans Affairs and they say, she said, I just want one of those chair things that go up the stairs. She said that they told her, and she's not the only one, um, we can assist you in suicide if it's just so bad. She's like, what? This yeah. is what's happening. You'll just, you'll have no options. No options. You will own nothing. They've put it out there. You will own nothing. And like you said, the, the word I wanted to key in from what you were talking about before was essential. Because this is what they did to us in 2020. They said some of us were essential yep. and some of us were non-essential. So it's not like we don't have a case study that's less than a couple of years old to say that they are going to pick winners and losers. They're going to do that based on political clout and connections. And guess who's not going to be in that inner circle? Well, probably everybody listening to the program, including yep. you and me. So yep. this is this is a epic, epic 
disaster. And this is something that everybody should be writing their representatives and their senators and saying, absolutely not. This is, you know, a complete affront to our freedoms. Um, let's let's uh, go into because I, I want to talk to you about the farms, but I want to do that in, in detail. And I I think we're going to have to hold you over at the, at the bottom of the hour uh, to really get into that because it's so important. Um, give me one minute and then I want to come back. The Department of Labor just did something with ESG. But remember, ESG, not happening. It's a conspiracy theory. When I first started talking about ESG, how many in this audience thought this is not, it's not going to. And now have you noticed how it is everywhere? Yeah, who told you that? And more importantly, who told you that it wasn't happening? Make sure you're no longer listening or watching any of those sources. So it's really interesting uh, because the uh, central bank digital currency, the CBDC, um, the Fed coin, if you will, uh, was released and they announced that they were going to put it into trial at three o'clock in the afternoon, the day before Thanksgiving. You know, when all of us are paying attention to the news quietly, also during the Thanksgiving week. Um, the uh, Department of Labor finalized a rule that blows up some standard benefit plans on how to invest in your best financial future. Carol Roth joins us. What did they do, Carol? All right. So first of all, I want to say I almost missed this, Glenn, and it was one of your listeners who works in the industry who alerted this to me because they shoved it in, like you said, right before Thanksgiving. He doesn't want to be given a shout out because, (laughs) as you can as you can imagine, why? But thank you for doing this. So basically, fifty almost fifty years ago, nineteen seventy four, something called ERISA was passed, the Employee Retirement Income Security Act. It basically covers retirement plans and welfare benefit plans, and basically it says that if you are the manager or quote-unquote sponsor of a plan, you have to act, and this is a quote, solely in the interest, unquote, of employees and beneficiaries. So basically in your best financial interest, if somebody's managing it, they can't put their best interest, they can't you know, do things just off the cuff, they have to say this is going to be in your best financial interest as an okay. employee or beneficiary of the plan. Stop for a second, because I think it's important for you to understand the money that you make, that you work so hard for, you put it away for your retirement. You are giving it to that responsibility that somebody is going to do the best thing for you. Let's sit down and talk about your plans. What are your plans for retirement? Have you made any? Well, you better get started now. All of that crap. What they've done is taken out your best financial interest. Now, let's talk about your plan, because your retirement is important to you. But, you know, there's some other things that are important to us and and other stakeholders. So we'll do our best after listening to you on what your dreams of your financial future are. But we'll balance them with the things that we all think should be done with your money. Are you out of your mind? It is egregious. I mean, this was this was one of those really good laws. You know, there there are a few and far between, but this is a really good thing for you to have protection. So when somebody is managing 
your retirement funds um, in, in a plan, in a retirement plan, they have to select, monitor, and cast shareholder votes based on your best financial interest. Now, and by the way, the, the Trump administration had put extra rules in place specifically around ESG. Correct. And right. so this was done to undo that and take it a step further. So now they're saying, well, you know, you can, they can favor ESGs or something called ETIs, economically targeted investments. So you can oh, only geez. imagine what that you would know, you know what e, You know what ETI is? ESG, because ESG people have caught on on what it is. So quick, <laughs> let's rename it. Yes, also sustainable investing and a few other monikers to that. So basically, they're now now giving financial cover, and this, again, is now a Department of Labor rule, which needs to be challenged in the courts, saying that we no longer have to have um, your best interest if we're managing your funds at heart. We can do whatever we want. This codifies business social credit. Codifies it. If your state has not taken on E, S, and G, if they haven't done all three, then you need to either move or start a movement that gets your state to take action. No liberal state is going to take action on ESG. But I'm telling you, it is the end. This this goes hand in hand with the Fed coin, this they are building structure where they take things from you and do things they want to do, not necessarily what you want to do or what are in your best interests. They're extracting wealth. They're extracting freedoms. They're doing it for their benefit and against yours. And funny enough, Glenn, that the Department of Labor's own website super out of date. Their, their last statistics for were from 2013 go figure oh but back then, so I, I can only imagine they've grown since then but we're talking about 141 million workers and at that time again it should be higher now 7.6 trillion dollars in assets that were covered by this so this isn't just a small thing this is the bulk of the wealth of the american people and look at what's going to happen those people are going to lose their retirement which will or piece, you know, pieces of it, possibly. Uh, and they will look to the government to fund their retirement even more. This is insanity. It is a rat trap. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Aaron uh, McIntyre is with us uh, now. He is actually somebody uh, who is new um he is um he's got a new show uh, he's a blaze tv host stay tuned for more details on this but i have been uh reading uh his columns and his work uh, especially when it comes to the sexualization of our children uh he just wrote a great piece let me see if i can get the name of it here de facto degeneracy and it was up on his substack and he I want him to take you through it, but he makes a, I think, a very accurate prediction. Uh, If we don't wake up and stop this, we won't stop anything. This is our children, and this one should be very obvious. Aaron, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Glenn. You bet. 
So, so take me through the article of de facto degeneracy. Sure, absolutely. So I think a lot of people have noticed, obviously, this really disturbing trend with the need to kind of put on display for children, uh, you know, drag queen story hours and these kind of sexual displays with which, let's be honest, with our trans strippers in a lot of these situations. They are billed specifically as family friendly. They are sent out, you know, to to children's organizations or to educational organizations and they are meant specifically to attract children. And unfortunately, as we can see with accounts like Libs of TikTok, there is lots and lots of evidence that these things are very far from it, that these uh, performances are very explicit, as you would expect them to be from the type of performers who are doing them. And they are specifically targeted of children. And I think a lot of people ask, you know, when they see these performances, how are people getting away with this? How are people, adults, exposing themselves to children in these public situations and nothing happens? These should be crimes. There should be action taken. And so the piece in the piece, you know, I talk about the difference between a you know, de facto and de jour, right? The difference between what a law says technically de jour and what it actually, what actually happens, how it's actually carried out by agents of the state which is de facto. And I think even though most agents of the state know that de jour on paper, exposing yourself to a minor in a performance would be something that would be illegal and would carry very serious charges and penalties under the law. They know that de facto, if they ever actually carry out those penalties, they'll run afoul of kind of the social zeitgeist. They know that their careers will be over, that they'll be punished in the media, that they'll be labeled as bigots. And so these people know to steer clear of these performances with their penalties, even though they should, in theory, be violating the law. This is, it's really terrifying the way you lay it out in this in this article. Um, because we we know, we know the boundaries, we all do. We know if somebody was exposing themselves or walking around a children's playground in a G-string dressed as a woman uh, and gyrating, you know, in the middle of the park, we all know we would keep our kids away. We all know we would probably call police, especially if they're at the playground. We know that. But what is it that makes us stop I, I I don't I guess my question is I don't understand what's happened to people. Why is it that it seems like at least half the country is like no 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 this is fine? Well, I think a lot of people have seen this labeled as the new civil rights issue, and they want to be on the right side of history, right? They want to be tolerant. They want to be accommodating. They want to be understanding. They don't want to. But wait, be wait, but wait, 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 wait. What is the new civil rights issue? Because there's a big difference between Caitlyn Jenner and this, the civil rights of the children, the 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 innocence of the children is being ripped away from them. This is not like Caitlyn Jenner. This is about uh, transgender stripping in front of children. There's no right to that. Well, I agree, Glenn, but I think there is more linkage here than maybe we would have first up here. I think that when we ask society to, you know, uh, all, you know, pretend a certain thing, when we're all being required 
to pretend that the emperor is wearing clothes when they are not. It has an impact on everybody. When you let that little sliver of a lie enter society and you make everyone kind of perform as if something that is a lie is truth, I think that eventually erodes the barriers of understanding between what you're talking about and where we ended up. I think you naturally do move from Caitlyn Jenner to this because when you ask people to believe that men are women, when you demand that for them to participate in society, they have to go along with this delusion, I think they naturally will move towards this point where there is no barrier. What we would think would be common sense is eroded by this lie that we've let slide into our society. So you you go on uh, to... Um, to say if if any of these arguments were um, used or translated into context of a church, the very same people would lose their minds. It's true. I just saw a story today of some you know polygamist that's marrying children, and me and everybody else losing their mind. It's that's got to stop. What is this? We all agree. However. Um, what's the problem that he is religious or that he's married them because a lot of people in today's society don't have a problem with sexualizing 12 year old, 15 year old girls. No, that's absolutely true. I think the real problem here is that the society has shifted its focus on the kind of religion that it's going to allow. There is now, I think a, belief, a a kind of a state-sponsored belief in the idea that the protection of these identities is sacred and that it's necessary for the law to get involved and the media and different organizations in society to get involved to protect these different identities, even when they cross into these areas that we find abhorrent. And you have to, you know, if you're going to make transgenderism the next civil rights issue, then you have to do what you do with all civil rights issues. You have to teach it to children very early on, right? That these are certain things that have to be protected, they have to be respected, they have to be tolerated. And so it's just, I think it's, again, just the natural development of this ideology when you have this consent-based morality where the only thing that decides what is moral is if two people agree, then you're going to naturally see the pressure on people to lower and lower, unfortunately, the type of the age of consent when it comes to things like transgender surgery, which is why we're now seeing puberty, puberty blockers and permanent mutilation pushed onto children younger and younger, because this is a key part of the left idea of tolerance of these ideas. I have to tell you, I don't know if you've seen the uh, podcast I did with um, Chloe Cole um, this last Friday, um, but it is this is a girl that was 11 and when you hear her talk about it you completely understand what she was thinking she was thinking like an 11 year old girl and um and then the media started instagram peer pressure and she decides she's a boy and now she's detransitioning and she's trying to go back for to be a girl but she'll most likely never breastfeed her uh, children because she had her breasts removed. Um, and uh, so they don't know if they can ever repair that. She may not be able to even bear children because of this. And 
no one is responsible for it. Nobody. It is a tragic, tragic story, and it is happening over and over and over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. I think that people, you know, this is a very permanent decision. There are many bad decisions that one can make as a young person. And while some of them can be tragic, there's usually some ability to recover over time. But these children are victims of this ideology in a way that is very permanent and very disturbing, which I think, unfortunately, is what a lot of these activists are counting on. Once you've forced a child to make that kind of ideological commitment so young to the point where they permanently alter their body and in their ability to have a family, the kind of thing that kind of makes you a natural conservative over time, it's going to make you committed to a particular political outcome. It's going to make you a ward of the state in many ways. And it's also going to plug you into things like a lifelong commitment to a pharmaceutical industry that is very, very motivated to have you as a customer for the rest of your life, dependent on the kind of stuff they're peddling to alter your body chemistry on a long-term basis. Aaron McIntyre is our uh, guest. He's uh, going to be um, you'll hear an announcement soon. He's going to have his own Blaze TV um, platform, and we appreciate him coming up. And thanks for joining the Blaze. Um, I want to read the last line in your or last couple of lines um, in your Substack article. If a civilization does not believe to its very core that the sexualization of children is wrong in a very deep and non-negotiable sense, then no one is willing to stick their neck out to enforce the law as written. They will comply with power before any principle. And that is how you know when you are truly lost. Any comment on that? Yeah, I think that if people are going to stand up against this stuff, like I said, they truly have to believe it's evil at its core. It's not something you can hold loosely. This is why I think so many parents are scared to step up because they know that society doesn't have their back. They know that the institutions don't have their back. They know they're not going to have the support of the community. They know that power is set against them. And so the only thing that will allow people to be able to stand up and stop this and be heard and have the courage is the conviction that at its core, this is a non-negotiable thing. We're not talking about when children can have transitions. We're not talking about when puberty blockers are acceptable. It's never acceptable. It's never okay. It should be a crime for people to do this kind of thing. And if we don't have that stance from the outset, people will never have the courage to stand up against it. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate it. God bless. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Aaron uh, McIntyre. Uh, you can find that on his uh, Substack um, uh, page. I, I I will tell you, not only are people afraid of uh, that nobody's going to run to their, um, their back, I think a lot of people don't know how to have these difficult conversations and maneuver around them. That's why I think my um, my conversation with Chloe Cole was so important. You can find it at YouTube. By the way, our goal was to have a million YouTube subscribers. I think we started the year with maybe 300,000 subscribers because we never paid attention to YouTube. Um, and uh, and our goal was to have a million subscribers by the end of the year. We are so close to that. We're at 930. What is it? 935, 937, something like that. Um, and so subscribe and uh, and make sure you rate and rank the show, if you will. Um, uh, but we we 
want you to watch this particular thing. It's on Blaze TV, but it's also at YouTube. And it is my conversation with a girl that transitioned. And I, because I am a parent and I am struggling to have these conversations with my kids, I wanted this something uh, to be something that my kids could watch and understand and also model compassion for them to, you know, show how someone can believe something differently and still have compassion for people. So please watch this podcast. Uh, it's available now at YouTube um, or at the Blaze TV. Watch this podcast and share it with your family. Na, na, na.